Welcome to the Legal Update podcast. I'm your host, Adam North, and today I'm joined by Ludo Lugnani as usual. Thanks for joining me, Ludo. Um, we are back after a short hiatus to dig back in to some stories. Uh, as usual, we'll talk about a deal or kind of a deal, a commercial consideration, and then a case piece of litigation that's going through the courts. Really happy to be back as training contract applications are in full flow at the moment. So hopefully everyone is staying aware of commercial news stories and how they can be used to effectively improve your applications. Thanks for joining me, Ludo. Let's dive right in. First of all, um, we will speak, as usual, about a kind of deal or commercial consideration. Um, We're going to talk about WeWork's recent announcement that its losses have quadrupled to over $2 billion. Um, Obviously, the the kind of key driver behind this, I'm sure everyone will be aware, is the rise of flexible working. Um, WeWork simply having kind of that flexible nature of where you hire a desk for a certain period of time, often on a rolling contract, um, saw a massive plunge in the number of customers and their occupancy rates across their kind of flexible working sites. For anyone who doesn't know, which I'd be very surprised, WeWork is an office space provider where you can rent from one desk up to countless desks, I imagine. Um, in their kind of shared office space. They're very, very innovative. They're very, very contemporary and modern thinking. Um, They have things like bars and table tennis tables in all their outlets that are free to use for people who uh, people who do rent a desk or a room or a space in WeWork. Um, As I'm sure you can appreciate, the COVID pandemic had a massive rise in flexible work and home working. We kind of all had to go to working from home and it wasn't maybe the same as a number of uh, businesses, larger businesses who rent office space and they'll maybe rent a floor or a number of floors in a commercial building and they're tied into a rental lease. Um, in WeWork, for WeWork, it's obviously a lot more flexible. Therefore, there was just a simple plunge in signups, um, a plunge in, in kind of their occupancy rates as soon as last March really hit. Um, Revenues kind of almost halved over over the last quarter from one billion dollars to to just over just under six hundred million dollars um, as customers just simply weren't there and and weren't prepared to pay their rent um, and, and kind of bowed out of uh, their office tenancies at WeWork. Um, WeWork's an interesting concept as it's never really made money. It's obviously a very popular, very strong brand. Um, but has always kind of struggled to be profitable. They looked like they were going to IPO at the back end of last year with a massive valuation of $47 billion um, achieved by a kind of an initial private round of financing. Um, however, that kind of valuation seems to have, uh, seems to have come back <laughs> a lot lower as they're now actually looking to merge with a special purpose purpose acquisition vehicle, which I know, uh, Ludo, you're very keen to talk about as usual, um, called Valtex Acquisition, and are planning two years after their own initial public offering to offer again with a new valuation of around $9 billion, which is still astonishingly big. Um, however, it's nowhere near kind of the the uh, eye-watering $47 billion figure that was there, uh, that was there initially. Um, I just want to talk about Obviously, we touched about kind of um, COVID-19 and the flexible working has really, really had a massive impact halving the revenues of WeWork over, over the prior time of the pandemic, which is very understandable. Um, but I wondered, Ludo, if you had any any thoughts on kind of other considerations 
that um, have affected WeWork and maybe affect in looking at these kind of revenue points as we move forward? Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you. That was a really good summary, I feel. And uh, <coughs> that point in terms of the losses, maybe something that's useful to mention is how once WeWork, I feel, started making some losses and had to start cutting back, there's some additional costs that keep coming back and it grew as a sort of snowball effect for them. So I noticed on the notes you had before that they sort of incurred these charges of building exits, which I think were around 299 million, uh, which is you know, it's quite a sizable amount, let's say, and uh, pulling out of all these leases and rene- renegotiating them that did create the loss but also on the other side something that you could mention is maybe it it also reduced their costs and made them a more let's say lean business and i think that's something that we also could touch upon is the whole idea that by reducing its presence maybe it realized it was doing too much and in order to make an actual profit as we've mentioned it could be an idea of let's cut some losses let's cut some areas which are not as profitable especially with this whole Mm -hmm. pandemic which obviously makes you know, remote working more of a common thing, which yeah. is not ideal for WeWork, obviously. Um, but I've, I noticed also their administrative expenses, for example, they halved to 274 million year on year in the first quarter, which is great news for them, obviously, because that's reduced costs. And another opportunity which you touched upon, and which is definitely something to mention, is the whole idea of merging with this special purpose acquisition company called BoX Acquisition. That's something really interesting because, yeah, sure, they did fail that past valuation for $47 billion, which was eye-watering, let's say, as <laughs> huge valuation. And now still $9 billion is a very sizable amount. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that Like, in terms of going public? Do you think that's a good move for WeWork in, at the current point? I think that the thing is, is it looks like it's from from where I'm coming from. It looks like it's almost come from a position of weakness. Mm. That the reason they're doing it is to raise cash. Um, the revenues have massively dropped. It looks like it's almost a bit of a desperate measure of getting some cash in yeah. to stabilize the business. And um, it's never, I guess, it's it, it's yet to be seen. We'll only really be able to say with hindsight whether um, we work going through an IPO process will be effective or ineffective at mm-hmm. the end of the day. I think one of the things you talked about, about kind of scaling back the business a little bit, mm-hmm. um, something that's really interesting, I guess it's, it's one of those points that market share doesn't always mean increased profit or higher market share doesn't always mean increased profitability or kind of increased vision in the market of how, how, uh, how, where you're everywhere. I think we were talking about before we started recording, how there are WeWorks literally everywhere <laughs> in London, just around the corner from me, just around the corner from you. Um, and actually, maybe that's where WeWorks really struggled. It's become really popular. It's grown exponentially quickly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have kind of the infrastructure or ability to to really keep up those costs. Um, and obviously, one of those things that's really expedited that is kind of a massive drop in occupancy. There were kind of almost, there were over 70%, I think I read, before the pandemic. And in the last few months of the of last year, they were back up to 50%, but they dropped kind of into the low 40s, if not lower. And if you own a building, it's kind of logical. And I know they don't necessarily own the building. They rent rent the building, then rent out the office space. But if you own a building and you have rentals in and only 50% of the rent like of the building is full, you're probably not going to be making money. Um, so it's maybe it's less about having such a massive footprint and more about kind of building on the occupancy rates and becoming more profitable through kind of economies of scale and things like that. Um, yeah. I do think kind of the 
intention to merge, I know through a special acquisition, um, special purpose acquisition company, sorry, is, is something that's becoming increasingly popular. And I know we've spoken about this on this podcast before, <laughs> that it's very much kind of a route to the IPO. It's a route to a flotation now that is particularly attractive. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it continue. A lot of it has kind of been in, in specific sectors at the moment, but I really see it kind of exploding into kind of, I guess, things like commercial property, which I guess you could call, um, say, WeWork is. I do think that it's, it's going to be an interesting time to WeWork. For WeWork, they've got to re kind of vamp their business and they were quite revolutionary when they came onto the scene and everyone thought it was going to be the new style of working. My question is kind of, has the pandemic changed that? Um, is that mm. still happen? Let's wait and see. Um, I think it'll be an interesting one. Um, I personally think you can kind of, I mean, we could have an, an hour long debate about whether people will return to the office, whether people won't. I know a lot of businesses at the moment are considering these things and in the process of building kind of actual working protocols and policies. Um, and it's something we work will have to consider. They obviously can't offer a, a home working solution. So um, it's, it depends. Maybe they can offer some sort of hot desking, but with a pandemic, it's, is that possible with kind of cleaning desks and things like that? Um, so it's, a, yeah. it, it's an interesting one. It's one, as always, you kind of have to watch what the developments are. I think it'll be interesting maybe if we look in a year's time or so to see the actual effects of the IPO and WeWork. Have WeWork taken over the market again? And are they pushing towards profitability? Um, would be my uh, my real big questions. But I think it's another another sign of there's a lot of things. Businesses never operate in a vacuum. There's always different forces, um, different market forces, commercial forces, consumer forces um that are at play that they have to read have to be aware of um and have to adapt to um and it's it's it, that's something that's always really good to kind of identify um i think if you were just to touch on if you were using this in kind of an application situation you want to be considering the op uh, the uh that we work does have competitors both within the kind of um revolutionary kind of office shared office working space and on the more traditional side and they're all looking at different kind of forces and i don't think you're ever going to see a law firm necessarily a big established commercial law mm -hmm. firm working from a shared office space but we work still a competitor to the companies that do own those office buildings um so i think it's a really interesting one there's a lot of nuance to it um but if you work under kind of to use this in an application setting, think about com uh, law firms that may work heavily within commercial property, may advise companies like WeWork, um, and also kind of other other businesses that um, are in competition with WeWork, and, and how they may react to to kind of we the forces that WeWork are under pressure as well. Um, now we spent a bit of time on that one. Unless you had any any kind of final points on that, Ludo, should we uh, move on to the the kind of the case or piece of litigation that we're going to discuss that you want to introduce for us? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we can move on to that one. It's uh, quite an interesting case. Uh, as you know, in our show, we always want to sort of assess one case that's going through the courts at the moment. And this week we found one relating to BP. So the BP won a case in court uh, after on Friday. It was a $17.2 million unjust enrichment claim against an Egyptian oil company called Vega Petroleum and its Canadian backer, which was Dover Investments. And this was basically based on a contract for this Egyptian company to deliver 211,387 barrel of oil. Very specific number there. And the firms involved, which is always great to know, if for BP, we had HFW, and for Vega and Dover, it was Bird and Bird. So why big firms involved in this case. 
just to give you a bit of background, so this sort of deal was struck back in January of 2013. As we said, BP expected these barrels to be to be delivered, and they paid in advance for this oil. The, the question that the court was faced with was whether BP was actually entitled to the delivery of the oil. And if it wasn't delivered, could it get the money back? Or, you know, that was the whole crux of the case, basically. So quite an interesting case, I think, both from a st legal standpoint, trying to figure out, you know, what was right in the situation, and also in a commercial aspect, potentially the effects that a decision either way could have made, let's say, obviously BP won in this instance, but what could have happened if it hadn't? And what are the outside effects? What sort of matters can we sort of consider in this story? So yeah, great to hear your thoughts on this, Adam. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. Um, and I think oil is a particularly interesting one, given the, the massive kind of fluctuation in, in oil price over the last kind of, as another one to talk about the pandemic, as, as kind of we always end up talking about, because it is just such a mm -hmm. massive economic um factor that nobody expected but that massive kind of fall in oil price and how oil is bought so far in advance kind of bought on a future basis um is an interesting one it's not something i know kind of tons tons about in kind of a legal sense mm -hmm, um, as you say it's quite an interesting one to see how very often the courts yes they perform a very kind of judicial as obviously is they perform a, perform a very legal function but they're often very commercially minded mm -hmm. um they're kind of aware of the commercial considerations of their decisions and realize that actually there has to be a balance between the commercial and the legal um, steps in order for the business world to, to really continue. Um, I think it's, it's really interesting um, to see kind of how they dealt with it in this one in terms of kind of taking into consideration those commercial aspects that, um, that BP does deserve kind of recompense for the fact it did essentially pay for the oil in 2013. So mm -hmm. what, what, eight years ago now, um, they're kind of almost banked on, on the, the fact they'll be getting that oil. And it's interesting to see that they do have a level of protection from the courts. Um, and kind of considering what the what the impacts outside if the court didn't didn't for, uh, side with them, I think it'd be interesting to kind of consider what those impacts might look like. Yeah, definitely, because it's uh, it's something that you know as a as a lawyer, I think it's easy to think of it strictly as a job where you advise on the legal uh, implication of something, but a contract like this could have a serious consequence on BP because we're still talking about seventeen million dollars worth of oil, <laughs> so it's quite sizable amount yeah and also i think from a fair point of view if this didn't go the right way it also provides for a sort of a complex precedent potentially yeah i imagine they have a lot of deals with uh, oil producers so if something like this didn't go their way how many others in the future of the savers another instance where their producer doesn't deliver the oil and claims oh well look at that egyptian company they got away with it why can't we do the same so it's yeah in that in way, it's also something to foresee for the future, I think, and it's something that you could mention if you're listening in an interview situation, if you're considering this the story, or whenever considering, I think, in general cases, uh, going through the courts is something that you always keep in consideration. And from, well, from a commercial point of view, obviously, it'd be a monetary, you know, significant damage for BP losing this not being able to get the oil and I imagine then use it to make their own profits. So it could have serious consequences, both in short and long term for them, I imagine. Yeah, I and just to kind of touch on that, I think that's where 
when you use these kind of stories and you use that and you're trying to get across kind of say commercial awareness or something like that in an application or an interview where you really will go far is where you kind of identify those balancing or counterbalancing interests between the mm -hmm. legal and the commercial. It's really important to men remember that whilst a lawyer is, yes, a legal person, an officer of the court, et cetera, et cetera, a commercial lawyer needs to be able to consider the commercial kind of demands and commercial pressures that their their clients are their clients face. Yeah. And by being able to really tap into that balance of the commercial and legal and really stand on kind of the precipice between the two, that's where your application or that's where you're in interview, you're really going to stand out because it's going that little bit further. And I know lots of people who go into law don't necessarily do law degrees, but if you do, you don't get taught about the commercial elements of it. And that's where your own understanding and your own development has to kind of focus because you will get taught the legal side. You do, do get, you do understand kind of case law. You do understand precedent. You do understand judgments and how the law works, but really in a, in a commercial law sense, it's not so much about the law. It's about the balance of the law and the commercial interest mm -hmm. the pressures that business, the client's business is um, are under. And if you can really tap into that, especially in a litigation context, because sometimes it's really hard to in a litigation context to do so. I think that's where kind of you take that application just to further levels of understanding and further levels of kind of showing off your awareness and ability to, to kind of decompartmentalize different stories and bring it all together in a kind of a holistic commercial legal sense, because that's what a modern lawyer these days has to do. Um, I don't know if you have any kind of final points to do, just to add on to the end there, but that's kind of my piece on, I think really tying into the commercial and legal mm -hmm. together is a really, really strong way to make yourself stand out in applications um, and in interviews. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I 100% agree with that. It's it's definitely not 100% uh, legal advice and zero commercial for sure. I think whenever you're working with a commercial client or a client in general, there's always going to be commercial considerations that you have to be able to consider advise if you you know if you're allowed to obviously not it's a matter of the financial advisors too but you need yeah. to have that understanding of what's going on in the world and uh, in a more microeconomic aspect uh, with the business itself and what you know all these commercial implications do feed into your legal advice yeah and that's that's, that's that's it you know you have to be able to do both and not just read what the act says and provide advice on that but go beyond and yeah, I, yeah I like you said. And, and and that's something that our writers at the legal update are fantastic at doing they pull yeah. out commercial stories whilst kind of relating it back to a legal element as well um we have actually i suppose we should say we've kind of launched our revamped our website our new website which is the legal uk um go up there there's obviously kind of the members area we've got a new forum where if you have any questions or or any queries it's all kind of very helpful everyone's kind of chipping in and and sharing their experiences that's from me and ludo to kind of the writers um to other other kind of subscribers and other other viewers and there's also going to be um more free stories coming mm -hmm. out uh, so look out kind of our instagrams uh, our instagram our linkedin they'll all be hosted on the website so um if you want to taste uh, be on this podcast of what the legal update's about. Go and check out the website. Um, and thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Legal Update podcast. If you did, make sure you hit follow to never miss out on any new episodes and leave us a review if you'd like to let us know how we did. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to get in touch and we'll do our best to help you out. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.